Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Corey Kupfer here with another solo cast. I want to talk this week about the sort of state of the deal market. And, and more particularly, this is going to be more related to M&A, but I think it, it affects other types of deals as well. So we're out of time now when I'm, I'm recording this uh, in uh, late November of 22. And, you know, people, there's a lot of talk out there about what's happening with the deal market right now because of what I look at, I'll call them headwinds, right? Because there are some factors that are pushing against maybe uh, deal flow, deal volume, deal valuations, things like that right now. Things like inflation, higher interest rates, which of course increases the cost of capital. The fact that the stock market is, although you know it's it's recovered from its lowest, it's it's been certainly less strong and more volatile than it's been over the last decade plus. Some world events, things like that. And people are always wondering now, uh, you know, here's the interesting part. Some of the assumptions about when deal volume uh, increases or decreases are, are not necessarily true. I mean, I did a solo cast, I believe it was late last year. So maybe it was around this time a year ago where I talked about, you know, in, interest rates that started to come up. Well, there was talk about the Fed, you know, was about to start raising interest rates aggressively, which of course they've done over the last year. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about certain various industry publications, things like that, about how that might impact deal volumes. And and I had done some research at that time just to really back up what was 35 years of experience and what I sense was the case. And that was, it confirmed the fact that there was no relationship between deal volume and interest rates, right? There were very high deal volume rates, M&A rates in the, the times when interest rates were in double digits, right? You know, during those years. Um, so, so what does affect, you know, I mean, am I saying that some of these headwinds in various spaces or in the world and in the economy are not going to affect deals? No, I'm not saying that at all. In fact, you know, in the RA space where investment advisor wealth management space, where we do a lot of deals, you know, we've had long, every year has been a record year over the last number of years. This year will be a record year again. But most recently, DeVoe & Company, who does a quarterly deal book report, reported that there was a huge drop-off in deals in, in October from, from the past, like an 80% drop or something. And, you know, I remember I was interviewed, uh, and we posted it, I don't know, a few months ago. It was actually at the DeVoe conference by Charlie Pakert for a publication. And he asked at that time what I was seeing, you know, with these headwinds and the impact on on deal flow. And this was, again, specifically in the RA space. I think all of you know we do deals in various across industries that we just happen to have this 
concentration and niche in the financial services space. But and at that time, he said, what are you saying? And at that time, I was seeing no impact on deals, really. I mean, I every deal that we were doing was going forward. Valuations were generally holding. I said that we've seen a little bit at that time. We started to see a little bit of of restructuring of deals in that there was a little, but not a lot, but a little less money on the front end and putting some on the back end. But again, the, the, the sellers in that case still had the opportunity to get that full value. It was just that some of it was contingent upon what happened in a year or two or three, you know, usually a year on retention, things like that. And then there were growth kegers and that had them the ability to, you know, to earn if the economy came back and especially in the wealth management space where the stock market rises or, or lower directly impacts because wealth managers, managers charge on a percentage of mainly on a percentage of assets in the management. So, you know, and, and, and at that time, you know, I'd see that little adjustment to deal structure, but deal flow was still strong and evaluations overall was still good. And, but I did say, that if the, and the Fed had raised interest a couple of times, I think two, three times maybe at that point, but I did say, hey, listen, I don't know, you know, if there is another raise, which it looked highly likely that there was going to be another interest rate raise of another three quarters of a point, which it ended up happening, uh, that I had a sense that that would start affecting the deals. And because I think some of the, you know, the first few were really anticipated. And then there was a question about how they would affect the impact on on you know tamping down inflation and whether the Fed would continue to raise or raise that aggressively. And I felt like, and listen, I don't profess to say that I am a prognosticator and always right, but my sense at that time was that yet another three-quarter of a point increase that they did would probably be beyond what was, you know, hoped to happen and 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 could impact the market. And I think it has. I think that and, and other things have, and we have seen a slowdown in, in some segments. I did have my first client who was working with a banker to shop a deal who decided to pull it. He didn't even, you know, he was starting to get LOIs in, but he decided to pull it and see what happens next year, looking for the stock market to come back up. That's still the only deal that we've had where they've done that. But, you know, the DeVoe report shows that there's been some pull off in that industry. Now, interestingly, as you know, if you listen to the podcast, I'm doing this special series with the RIA aggregator and integrators. And everyone I've interviewed so far from the buy side from those big firms is still saying that they've got a huge amount of interest and a huge amount of deal flow, and they haven't seen an effect. Now, you know, so I'll be honest with you, I'm not saying that any of them are saying anything that's not true, but, you know, there may be a lag time. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, and some of them have said that it takes more and longer to get deals done right now. You know, so we, we I think we need some more time to see the impact. And whether this is a temporary blip or dip and how quickly it's going to come back up. But this is what I do know. And this applies to across all spaces. And that is you always have to, you always want to be looking at the longer term trends, like what, what is pushing. And you also have to understand that actually deal flow, deal valuations, deal structures, uh, like they don't change across the border. Every industry is different, right? Tech, you know, we do a lot in tech as well. You know, tech's different than financial services, different than manufacturing, is different than professional services or consulting or, you know, whatever, right? I mean, every industry is not similarly affected by economic factors. In fact, I mean, the most powerful example of that most recently is the pandemic, right, and COVID, where, you know, I've often mentioned this K economy, where there are some sectors like financial services and tech that did really, really well. And things like retail restaurants that that got hurt, right? So that's always the case. Maybe not as extreme as that K economy thing from the from COVID, but that's always the case. So you want to look at your particular sector because there may be, you know, for me, for example, in the RA space, 
the long-term trends are still super strong. All the factors, the, 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 the maturation of the industry, but the fact that it's still very early in its maturation, the amount of money that's coming through the space, the interest in the space, the, the professionalism in the space that's come up. I mean, deal flow is going to be strong for years and years and years in that space, even if we have a dip, you know, and is that, and if we have a dip, you know, is it just this one month that's a blip? Is it going to be three months, six months? Is it going to be slow for a year? I don't know that. That's impossible to predict. But what I do know is that, you know, it's over the next number of years, there are going to be plenty, plenty of deals being done in that space. You know, similarly, there's still a lot of money available in various other sectors like tech, where there's a lot of money, you know, and funds that have money to invest, which is going to drive, you know, growth. You know, again, there may be some adjustment, additional adjustment to deal structure. The valuations will probably, you know, suppress some. But, you know, listen, in various industries, valuations have been historically high. So even if they drop 10 or 20 or 30%, they still may be above, depending upon what sector, what industry, whatever. Some of those multiples may still be above historical averages, right? So, you know, it's easy. You know, it's, I, I, I relate it sometimes to, you know, a very simple situation with, with housing, right? What happens is when housing values are super high, it takes a while for sellers who had a number in mind because they saw that's what their neighbors sold at last year or six months ago, you know, to adjust if the market has adjusted. But in many cases, you know, they're still going to make a profit and 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 still maybe the valuations are higher than they've averaged in the past, but they're just lower than they were. So you always have it. So I think we're, we're definitely in one of these adjustment periods. So, you know, I talked about how deal volume does not necessarily tie into things like interest rates being higher or lower. But what does happen is that in a time of economic change, right, in a time of having certain headwinds come up, there's always a period of time where the, where the market needs to adjust, okay, where a few things happen. One is that people, because of uncertainty or changing circumstances, people may step back and say, hey, let me just see how things shake out. They may slow the process of, you know, doing a deals, whether it's on the on the buy side or the sell side, because they, you know, want to see how things change, whether the market's going to come back, whether, you know, what's going to happen, whether, whether things will become more stable. And then the other thing that happens is that this gap, you know, using my, my house sale analogy, when sellers have a yesterday's expectation of price or value, and buyer is not going to pay yesterday's number because they look at what today's number is, and maybe they're even concerned that the tomorrow's number will be lower. The same kind of, you know, then then deals slow. They don't get done because this is disconnect. This splits sometimes between the expectations of what a what a what a what a buyer wants to pay and what a seller expects to get, right? Because again, the seller's looking at yesterday's price, the buyer's looking at least today's value or concerned about tomorrow's. So this happens in, you know, in the MA space as well, right? There's a period of time where there's an adjustment where maybe multiples were at their top and now they're coming down a little bit. And, you know, the, the buyers are saying, mm, maybe uh, let me see what happens there. Or the sellers are saying, hey, you know, I want to see if things come back up. I don't because things are dropping. But then, you know, then they get adjusted to the new normal on both sides. And then that's when deal flow starts happening again, because the expectations are not so disparate. They come back together because the, the sellers realize, well, you know, listen, that was then I'm still getting a good deal. Maybe my life circumstances uh, such that I still want to sell. I want to retire. I want to merge in for for better growth going forward because we've hit our limit. What are all the all the reasons that trigger somebody to potentially sell? The underlying reasons are, you know, still there. I mean, unless the only reason you were going to sell was due to the high valuations, 
Yeah, which is off. And listen, sometimes that's fine. Hey, the market's high, take some chips off the table. But but very often, the uh, the motivations are beyond that. So the interesting thing is the one the client that I mentioned that pulled the, the you know, the the told the investment banker to hold off. That was a client who had originally said, who had said to me a year before that, you know, we talk, I, I speak to my clients often and just talk to them about the trajectory and the plans and where they're at. And, you know, and obviously, you know, we play a very consult, consultative role in their in their growth and their planning. And I feel blessed that they come to me and talk about that stuff. But, you know, we're not lawyers that just document deals. So remember that, you know, that client said so we had a conversation just about, hey, you know, what's the plans? What's going on? And, you know, he at that time had told me that, you know, I think he's got a good five, seven years, you know, to continue to grow this thing before he even thinks about exiting. And then things went crazy in the market. And, you know, he called me a few months ago and said, hey, Corey, I think I'm going to sell. I don't know that I can pass up these numbers, right? It's crazy. So now that was the client that ended up pulling back, right? Because, you know, which sort of makes sense, right? There were the other drivers. I mean, mentally, he was he still had some gas in the tank. They felt that they can grow organically. They were expanding services for clients. They were building a really, really, really great firm. And so when valuations cooled off, deal structures changed a little bit. He was like, you know what? Let me hold off. Let me see what happens. I was fine continuing to build this thing. Maybe I'll maybe I'll do that. Or maybe, you know, conditions will be different next year and I will choose to sell. It sort of made sense there, right? But for some folks, when they have other drivers, whether it's, you know, they're tired, whether it's that they've hit a, a limit and they they want to, you know, to to be in a bigger place, to be able to grow more and have more capacity. They want to be freed up to focus on what they want to do. They want to, if it's a true succession, exit, you know, retirement deal, you know, they want to be able to travel the world or whatever it is they're going to do, you know, afterwards, all these other motivations that happen don't go away. So those deals are going to happen in the relatively foreseeable future. We just got to get past what might be an adjustment period, right? To this, to this new normal. Let's take a break from the show for a minute. So I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. So, you know, I think when you are, whether you are a potential buyer or a potential seller in, in this market, the thing I want to make sure of is that you don't write off deals in your mind forever because things are a little shaky, right? It may be appropriate to pull back, watch, see what's happening, figure out what the new normal is. But, you know, and then, and then you can then you can reevaluate, right? If you're a buyer, you're probably going to, you know, underwrite those deals differently and structure them differently if the market isn't as strong. If you are a seller, you might have to adjust your expectations. But ultimately, what's important is what are your objectives as a seller? And can you still achieve those, right? The fact that you could have gotten extra previously, I know it's hard to let go of, right? You know, you feel like you're, lo- you know, you're losing money, you're losing. But the truth is you're not, right? It, it, was, it, it didn't exist until you got a deal done. So the question is, what are your objectives? And can you still achieve those objectives in this, in this market? Whether that's a certain number you want to hit. You know, very often sellers have a lot of other objectives around having their clients, customers taken care of around, you know, having their employees taken care of around maybe keeping their legacy going around, maybe having a place to continue to work, but not having to deal with the ownership stuff, you know, whatever it is, 
those things are probably, you know, all still possible. So then the question is, you know, if the economics are a little different, does that still achieve your financial objectives? And it may very well do that. So you, you know, let go of what was yesterday. Um, you know, nobody has a crystal ball and can predict what's going to happen in the deal market. But what we can do is look back at history. I mean, I've been doing this for 35 years and there are certain patterns that emerge. And and like I said, the patterns are, you know, that you go from hot deal markets to to slower deal markets, but then they come back and, and it's not because uh, after the adjustment period and it's not tied necessarily to how the economy is doing. And in fact, you know, I've mentioned this many, many times, some of the best deals, some of them, you know, there's a lot of deals that get done in quote unquote bad economies. And those are often some of the best deals. You know, it's just, you know, sometimes different types of deals get done, different deal structures are used. Valuations may be affected, but there's there's always opportunities. And in this conversation, we often have about the mindset of a deal maker. The mindset of a deal maker is that they're always going to be looking at potential deal opportunities, whether the market's booming or whether the market's you know horrible or whether the market's even adjusting, um, because that ability to keep that mindset and look for opportunities will show some because. No matter what you know the situation is, certainly you don't want to listen to just general economic reports or press or whatever because they may not be applicable fully to your particular industry. And even if they are, there's can definitely be a one-off deal or a two deals you know here that it just because of the circumstances, right, still totally makes sense for both parties to do or all parties to do. So. You know, I, I think that's that's what I wanted to impart today. You know, as human beings, we most of us don't do well with uncertainty. Even those of us who are super successful often, you know, like to have a clear path and, you know, we can go and if certain, especially factors we can't control, right? Outside of us, economic factors, world, political factors and that kind of stuff, it can make us take a step back. And I'm not saying it isn't appropriate to consider those and take a step back. But the question is whether they're going to stop us or whether they're going to be just more information that we take in and we still keep open the possibility and the conversation and the mindset of what types of deals we can get done and what might be appropriate for us in any given situation. Folks, with that, I'm going to leave you until next week. Have a, have a great week and definitely check out. We have so many great upcoming episodes and interviews on the DealQuest podcast, both in our regular Wednesdays and, and, and in our special series we're doing for the folks in the RA space, the aggregators and integrators. Have a great week. Take care. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.